Good morning. Um, for those of you who do class online, I apologize for the absence last week. Uh, the way that we have our in-person class and our online class, I try to keep them uh, at the same speed uh, in class. However, we only made it through the first three verses a couple of weeks ago of chapter four. Um, and then we did our lesson on the purpose of prayer. So last week we covered verses four through six, which is why um, I didn't have a lesson online last week uh, because you guys were ahead. So to keep everybody at going at the same rate, basically, uh, we're going to pick right back up in uh, verse seven of chapter four. So we're looking at uh, James chapter four. Verses seven through twelve is probably what we'll get through today. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to try to cover too much ground um, and go through it again. The purpose of this class is not to get through James or any other book for that matter. The purpose of this class is to understand what God is telling us through His revelation of Himself that He's given to us through His Word, um, and that we need to kind of have a general consensus uh, of an understanding of of what he's telling us before we move on. So it's not to get through James, it's to understand what God is telling us through through James's writings here. So we're going to go right into verse 7. Make sure it's working over here. Okay, good. <clears throat> verse 7 says, "Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you." Submit to God. So this really, submit to God, is kind of the basis for all of Christianity. This is the charge to all mankind, but more uh, specifically, James is writing to the body of Christ. So um, those who claim to be his followers, you know, and James is telling them to behave accordingly, to do uh, what they profess. So anytime that we're studying the scriptures— we need to ask ourselves a few questions before we, before we ever start trying to pull verses here and there. We need to we need to first ask who's writing it. So who's the author? Who's the audience? You know who's he writing to? We need to understand the context of of what he's saying, right? And then we also need to understand the most important part is this is God breathed. Okay, but we do have to understand all these things to make sure we get a full picture of what uh, God is telling us through this writing. So, um, he's challenged James is challenging this church, this body of believers, to behave according to how they profess. In fact, for those um, that we know who claim the name of Christ but are clearly lost. We know that because their fruit tells us that. If you remember back in chapter 2, I think primarily is where we talked on that a lot. Um, and we know that they're lost because of of the very thing that they do. They have uh, this very thing, that they haven't submitted themselves to God, right? Um, they've merely adopted some of his children's habits um, and vocabulary. Now, what I mean by that is that if you look at other beliefs, you can see how they have adopted our vocabulary for a lot of a lot of things. They use phrases like salvation 
and and um, sanctification and even Jesus Christ, but it's not the same. It's um, the 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 salvation they teach is not the same salvation that we understand that the Bible teaches. The um, prayers that they're talking about are are more. Um, uh, sort of like what we talked about a couple weeks ago with the purpose of prayer. They're, they're, they think that they can trap God into giving them what they're asking. And and Jesus Christ, they use that term, but they're actually preaching a different Jesus if they are not preaching the Jesus of the Scriptures. If they don't believe that Jesus is, is the Messiah, is the Son of God, the only begotten, the unique Son of God, then they preach a different Jesus. Um, so... The, a lot of lost people will sound like they're saying the right things because I mean that's other faiths but then when you look at people who claim to be of the faith but do not adhere to to the principles uh, the main one probably here would be submission right if they don't adhere to a submit uh, to a submission if they do not submit to God then clearly there's something wrong there then it might sound like they're saying the right things. It might look like they're doing the right things. Um, but they might even tell you that they have an understanding of the gospel, right? But their fruit, the evidence in their life, and the main one being that you can see the habits, right? Now, if someone, if you see someone do something odd and end, that does not mean they're lost. But if you see a... a a sequence of habits of sin, then there should be some red flags raised, and that shows that they lack wisdom. We t- talked about this a couple of weeks ago, and if they lack wisdom, then we know they lack obedience. So these people are the ones that live in rebellion, uh, an open rebellion to God, and no child of God can live in a constant state of rebellion to Him. So many people have this belief that, you know, um, we talked about this briefly a couple of weeks ago, that only you and God know if you're saved. And while that sounds good, it's not entirely true, okay? Because it kind of depends heavily on who we are talking to. You know, that's that's a blanket statement. People like using these blanket statements because it, it kind of, it's a shield that they try to use. But... <sighs> People speak in these vague terms like they instead of I because they don't really want you to put them personally in that situation. But when you do, it's different. For instance, um, I know Jamie watches um, online, uh, basically my Aunt Jamie. So if she were to ask me, if you, Jamie, if you're watching, if you were to ask me if I believe that you were saved, I would say yes. I would have confidence that you are because there's evidence there. There's fruit there that shows that you are. However, you might be deceiving me. Okay. But that, that now that in, in that regard, only you and God know. Yes, I would agree with that. But if somebody asked me if Hitler was a Christian, I could answer with a resounding no. And so could you hopefully, right? Because we see his fruit 
So you can't make this blanket statement that no one really knows about someone else because the scriptures actually refute that idea and they tell us that we can know and I would submit to you that it is sometimes difficult to confirm that someone is of the faith, but it's oftentimes pretty easy to confirm if someone is not, okay? So there is some truth in that statement. It's, it's, it might be, a, it, it, I will say this, it's at least more difficult to determine whether someone is of the faith than whether someone is not of the faith, okay? Um, now, Jamie, if you're watching, I have complete confidence in you, so uh, don't think I'm comparing you to Hitler here. Um, if there, the, the point is this, if there is a lack of submission, if there's an obstinance to God's authority, or you give them a commandment of God, right? We can we can pull the scriptures up. I mean, you have a you have a, a supercomputer in your pocket where you can pull up the scriptures in an instant and show these people the commandments of God. And if they say, "I'm not doing that," that should be a serious red flag. So, um, there are things that I read in scripture that I, my flesh does not like, right? There's things that God tells me I'm, I must change. Um, and it's constant, but sort of like what we talked about a few weeks ago, the difference between someone who is a Christian, a true Christian, a true convert, and someone who is a false convert is that when they are approached with, um, or I should say confronted, when they are confronted with scriptures that that argue against a preconceived notion that you have, how you respond to that says a lot. So what I mean is, if I open the scriptures and I see that the scriptures say that I must fill in the blank, uh, or that I ought to do this, then I have a choice now to decide whether, okay, I'm wrong here. Or, unfortunately, the more common response is, well, obviously it can't mean that. So a true disciple of Jesus Christ, a true child of God. Now, keep in mind, we are children of God, of the Almighty God. This is the same God of the Old Testament and the New. This is the God of all creation. That when we say that we're a child of God and we are faced and confronted with a te- with scriptures that um, contradict something that we, some preconceived notion that we have, we should say there, I am wrong. Not the scriptures are wrong. Not the interpretation of the scriptures are wrong, but it's me. I'm the one that's the problem. But if we say instead, well, it can't really mean that. What you begin to do is make a God of your own creation. So remember in James 2.19, we talked about a demonic faith. Do you remember that? We talked about um, the difference between a saving faith and a demonic faith. And the difference in a demonic faith and a saving faith is submission. James is saying that all all of these problems that, uh, that you're dealing with, Um, can be resolved in an instant if you'll just submit to God. You know, submit to his authority and stop worrying about whatever authority you think you have because any authority that you think that you have was given to you by God to begin with. 
So James has identified their sin, and now he comes, um, and now comes the call to return to God. Right here's the solution. Now, if you notice, all of these good teachers, any good teacher, really, doesn't just harp on all the things that are wrong. They don't just constantly berate and belittle. Um, now, now they definitely should acknowledge those things. Um, and they should, but they don't just constantly tell us how horrible we are and so on. But a good teacher gives us the solution. So I heard it put this way one time, unsuccessful people talk about problems and successful people talk about solutions. So if we ever find ourselves in a place where we are wrestling with something about our faith, you know, when we, when we, when we're confronted with that, it's a, an actual confrontation of, of our, uh, of, of our spirit. And we are wrestling with this. What are we told to do? We are told to submit to God. So when you are rest, and I love, there's so many analogies for, for jujitsu, for those of you that, that have ever practiced. When you're sitting there wrestling and wrestling to submit, instead of fighting against it, submit. And the reason is because God is always right. Then he says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. So how do we resist the devil? By submission to God. You see, you can never really submit to the Lord if you aren't willing to reject Satan and sin. So let's not leave anything up for debate here. Let's put this in a way that will leave no doubts, okay? How would you feel if your spouse had been unfaithful to you? And then they run back and she says, so I'm saying she me right and my wife says i want you to forgive me and i want you to 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 be my husband or wife and i want you to be the only one that i'm intimate with i'm i'm going to be under your spiritual leadership and intimacy will only be with you most of the time and then you say uh you know are you not going to say goodbye to this other man Eh. I'm not going to see him as much as I did, but I'm I'm going to go over there every now and then. So can you fully take them back? Can you fully forgive if the behavior doesn't completely stop? So we can say that we are under the authority of Jesus, but in order to say that we are fully under his authority, we must also completely reject the workings of the devil. So we must submit to God, but we must also resist the devil and everything that he represents. So the more that you submit to God, the more you will resist evil. The more you love God, the more you will hate evil. The more you seek wisdom, the less you will behave foolishly. So these are all positive consequences to adhering to what's right. These are all positive consequences to to submission. So let's look, uh, let's look at verse 8. It says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Now, I want to stop right there for a second. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Why would James be telling them to draw near to God? Okay, we got to remember. Author, audience, context. 
right? Who's the audience? Again, it's, it's, it's this, this group, this fellowship, this church. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Well, he's telling them to draw near to God because clearly they were not. Clearly, they had decided to stop dwelling on things that were pure and holy. Clearly, they were no longer in pursuit of his kingdom and his righteousness, but instead were pursuing things of the world or of their own fleshly desires, right? And we know that because early in the, earlier in the chapter, he was talking about how they're squabbling and quarreling with one another. They're fighting. So if you look back in your relationship with God, if you look and your relationship has changed, you moved, right? You did. He tells us that, that, that you moved. So I want to think about the prodigal son for just a minute. When the son chose to turn from his father and refuse him, right? He was finished with him. We know the inheritance and, you know, meant that he considered him dead, but he not just refused him, but he was, he was finished with him. So when this prodigal son refused his father, what did his father do? He let him go. He let him go. He allowed him to go and allowed him to pursue his own carnal passions to his complete demise, right? But what happened when the prodigal son realized his transgressions and turned back to the father? The father didn't wait on the front porch, right? The, the father didn't wait until the son was at his footstool begging. But as soon as he knew that his son had turned, he ran out to meet him and embraced him as his son. As far as we know, the father didn't even wait until the son fully confessed everything that he had done, right? But it was the turning. That, that's the repentance, the understanding, right, that his complete understanding of the world was wrong it was that repentance that changed things and when he turned and began to draw near to to the father his father drew near to him so when we when, or excuse me when he started moving towards his father his father ran out to meet him so when god sees a sincere heart right true repentance when he sees us turn back to him the distance between you and him is nothing that his grace can't cover. So he's telling us that if we submit to God and and we do resist the devil, right? That we that we have that repentance, that complete change of heart and authority and change of life that he his grace will cover the distance immediately, instantaneously. So let's look over um, we're going to read the finish verse 8 and we're going to go through uh, verses 9 and 10 also. It says Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Cleanse your hands. Okay, cleanse your hands. This is referring to what the priests would do before they presented themselves before the Lord, right? Um, to present themselves clean purify your hearts you double-minded we went over this the, uh, the double-minded are those who who have one foot in the faith and one foot in the world right lament and mourn and weep and why does he say that 
He's telling us to take our sin seriously. If you really understand who God is and what holiness really is, then you will understand how utterly depraved, ungodly, and destitute of goodness we really are. So that is what a real understanding of our sin looks like. Right? Adrian Rogers said that any sin that Satan can get you to laugh at, you'll never take seriously again. I mean, look, look at homosexuality. You know, we make a little joke here or there, um, you know, to the point to where we become desensitized to it. And now everyone accepts it as commonplace. I mean, it's the same with any sin. Um, I'm not just picking on that one. But as soon as we, we, we start to uh, not take it as seriously as we ought to, we can succumb to it. Um, so when we understand our sin, we really understand what sin is. Then it will reveal to us who we are. So when we are changed positionally, right, in the light of who God is. So that's what I mean, uh, or what I mean by changed positionally is when you are saved, you are changed positionally. So you go literally from lightness, I'm sorry, from darkness to light. You are saved then immediately. But obviously we know that there's a sanctification process. So it's not like when you become saved all of your habits and everything about you just drastically changes in an instant. We know that's not realistic. I mean, that may have happened to someone. It hasn't happened to me. But what happens is you are changed positionally. So we go from thinking that we are good to think, uh, you know, thinking we are righteous, and it shows us that we've been living a lie, and that that recognition of our sin turns our laughter into mourning and our joy to gloom. That's what he's talking about here, is that if you understand your sin you and you understand who you are and who God is, right, which I've went over tons of times and I will continue to because it's the gospel. If you understand that, then your joy that you thought that you had, I'm living a good life. I'm a pretty good guy. I'm a, you know, I'm a good citizen to society, fill in the blank. You understand how utterly depraved and evil you are, and it will turn that joy to gloom and um, into mourning, right? So when we see, when we see um, cinematic depictions of Jesus, one of the most common traits that I see through pretty much every one that I've seen, except for two, okay? Um, those two being the Passion of the Christ, and there's, there's a series, I wish I remembered who made it. The first one I watched was called The Book of John, and it's literally the entire book of John um, read word for word, uh, New King James, with a cinematic depiction of it going on in the background. Um, it's fantastic. Please check it out. I think they did all four Gospels. But anyway, other than those two, other than those two uh depictions of Jesus the common theme seems to be that he's constantly smiling and in a good mood and cheery and just joyous but we know him as the man of constant sorrows which is a much more biblical interpretation of his demeanor and people might think well that's 
kind of bleak, but it's because he understood, obviously, sin and sees it abounding, right? Uh, talked about the, the one verse that everybody can quote, Jesus wept, right? There's a lot to that. One of the reasons he was weeping is because of what sin had done. He sees what sin is doing to this world. It is literally killing us. So he understood and he saw that we loved our sin and that brought him sorrow. Much like if you have a family member who who is an addict, right? Uh, You aren't glad to see them happy to be sticking a needle in their arm, no matter how much temporary happiness it brings them. It brings you sorrow because you know where that is leading and you know where, where they will end up. So similarly, this is how we should strive to see sin as he did, as seriously as he did. It should bring us pain and sorrow and, and sadness to see people love their sin and choose to defy God. We should not only be disgusted by it, but for it to bring us sorrow. I'll put it like this. If if you have someone in your family who is lost, then you probably know exactly what I'm talking about. If you have someone in your, especially in your immediate family, that is lost... It brings you, it, it, it brings you suffering, because you see that they that they reject the truth, and where that will ultimately um, cause them to end up. <clears throat> Let's look at verses uh, eleven and twelve. It says, "Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law." But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? Now, this is where we kind of get into the uh, judgment discernment. Now, obviously, James is speaking in the present tense here, okay, which means that this stuff is going on within this church body and most of this is pretty straightforward but we need to understand that when James is talking about the law here he's referring to the ultimate law which is what Jesus gave us right it's um, the Ten Commandments uh, you could even say it's the Ten Commandments that that he summed up by saying love the Lord your God with all your heart soul mind and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself um, it's not really talking about the Torah if, if, if you know what the, the Jewish law all the added things and everything involved in that. What James is saying is is that if we are the church, then we ought to do what we claim to believe, which goes back to verse 7, right? Um, which is to love God above all else and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And they clearly weren't doing that. So they were attacking one another and condemning one another. And now they're speaking ill of one another, destroying each other's character and credibility. And when we do that, we are violating the very law that we are judging people with. Okay. Um, I heard somebody put it this way. As Christians, we tend to shoot our own first. Um, For those of you that know Keith Pittman, I'm going to pick on him. Meaning, if I have an issue with Keith Pittman, what should I do? If I have an issue with my brother or my sister, what should I do? I should come to them in love 
okay? Not in anger. I should come to them and sit down with them, and we should reason together with the scriptures and not go and talk bad about him to the church to discredit him, to, to make him look bad, to defame him or whatever, right? But that's what we tend to do. We get mad at somebody over something normally selfish, so then we selfishly want to tell other people because we don't want them on our side, right? But it shouldn't be about you. Now, I'm talking to myself here. Um, for those of you that know me, know, should know this better than most. I'm talking to myself because I need this. Um, we should we should go to this person and do this is hard. Okay, I'm, I'm gonna. Exp- this is a hard thing. Go to that person and say, "Listen, we have an issue. We need to discuss it." We need to come to a conclusion uh, and not I'm right or you're right, but we need to sit down and see what the scriptures say and we need to agree with that and do that. Because if if we run around and we're talking about somebody, that's not love. You, You know, you're going around pointing fingers and not to glorify Christ or to sanctify and glorify the church body, but because you are allowing your own fleshly desires to try and destroy somebody then by doing so, you are violating the very law that you're trying to be the judge of. And there comes the word hypocrisy, okay? I I don't know how many people I've heard say that they don't go to church because it's full of hypocrites. You know, that's a whole other lesson. Um, But at times, they're not necessarily wrong. I do believe that the church is full of sinners, right? Uh, it's not, it, somebody said, it's not a museum for saints, it's a hospital for sinners. So we should not play the hypocrite in that in that way, especially if we are the brethren, okay? If we are a mature Christian, we think we are, this will show. If you have an issue with some someone within the body of Christ, you should come to them and reason together with them over the scriptures and agree with the scriptures, now, I'll try to get the other person to agree with you, okay? So, the problem is that the world tries to use this out of context, right? Uh, they try to use this out of context against us, which is hilarious because they're trying to judge us based on a standard that they don't believe in. That's That's ridiculous to me, right? They say... Well, you know, you're doing this and you're saying this, but you're, you know, it says you ought to do this. Okay, so you're judging me based on a law that you don't believe in? Like, I don't understand your, I don't understand your argument here. If you don't believe that, then what, why does it matter? However, I digress. James is specifically rebuking the mistreatment of the brethren, the children of God, his chosen, right? This is not what we are instructed to do, um with false teachers or those who are not of the faith. So he's talking, again, author, audience, context. He's talking, the author's James, God, through James. Um, The audience is this brethren. I cannot stress that enough. And the context here, what they're doing. He's not telling it. This is not what the scriptures tell us to do to false teachers and to people who are not of the faith, how to confront those people. Right, so so with false, for instance, f- with false teachers, we are commanded to call them out and to turn them out, that they may be handed over to Satan. 
That's First Timothy one twenty. If you want to check me, okay. So this is also not what we are instructed to do with non-believers. With them, we are to show them, expose them to the truth, and show them that they are being judged. Right? I went over this a couple weeks ago. You hear this all the time. Only God can judge me. You're right. He Only he can. And he has. And you've been found guilty. Jesus did not skate around sin. You know, people think, well, Jesus just taught love all the time. And he, you know, love wins. You hear that? Look at the woman at the well. What did Jesus Christ tell her? This all-loving, all-accepting God. He said, go and bring your husband. To which she replied, I have no husband. Then what did Jesus Christ say? You have spoken rightly, for you have had five husbands, and the man that you now live with is not even your husband. But Jesus only ever taught love and acceptance. Blasphemy. That is a blasphemous statement. Jesus was harsh with sin, and he exposed people's sin. If Jesus only ever taught love and acceptance and never about condemnation, why did they crucify him then? My point is this, that there is a clear distinction between judgment and discernment. We do not condemn, right? We do, we, we we do not condemn with authority. We have none. But we do preach that whoever does not believe is condemned already. It's John 3.18. Right? Just right after John 3.16 that everybody loves quoting. That for whosoever believes in him. But they use that word whosoever incorrectly. Because they think it means that anyone can believe. But that's not what that word means. That word whosoever means whoever is believing, right? So if we were to use John 3:16 in its actual context as for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only his only begotten, which is his unique son, so that all who the, the, I'm sorry, whosoever, so that anyone who is believing in him might not perish but have everlasting life. And then right after that, he says, whoever does not believe is condemned already. So we we do not judge, just like it says over here in James, we do not judge with an authoritative condemnation. But we can discern what type of tree someone is based on their fruit. But that does not mean that we are the authority that condemns or saves okay we also need to look at that because if you are fortunate enough to have ever led someone to christ you didn't do anything i'm speaking to me again okay you did not save them god allowed you to be part of his work and allowed you to witness his glorious grace that saves that's it Praise God that he allowed you to witness it and thank him 
for using someone as wretched as you and I to be the instrument that he used to present his gospel, which we know is the power of God unto salvation. Josh doesn't do anything. The word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ is what changes and transforms. Josh has no authority to condemn and Josh has no authority to save. Only God has that. You don't either, right? There's nothing you do that brings about salvation. We know that, even upon yourself. So when we see this, he tells us clearly here, there is one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. So who are you to judge another, right? This. So we talked a couple of weeks ago. Um, I told you that some, some uh, when we talked about the purpose of prayer, that sometimes when you pray, God will answer no, and, and sometimes he'll actually show you why, and sometimes he won't. Sometimes he'll treat us like Job and say, who are you? Where were you when all things were created? Who are you to, to question me, basically, right? Here, here it is again. Who are you to judge another? That's enough. So what we need to take away this week, there's several things in here, is that not everyone, not everyone who claims to be a child of God is, right? But if you are, you are expected to behave accordingly. You are expected to conduct yourself through deed and word according to whom you claim to be under. So if you claim to be under the authority of Christ, then show it by what you do and what you say. Um, okay, I think uh, this is a good stopping point. I think uh, next, next week we should finish up chapter 4 again. Uh, if you guys have a, um, a book... Uh, a book of the Bible that you would like for us to go through next, please uh, please let me know. Uh, I'd love to hear some thoughts. I've, I've got an idea of kind of where, where I think I think I want to go, um, but that could change. Um, so we, we've got next week to finish up ch- chapter four. We'll probably split, split chapter five up into uh, one or two classes, maybe, my, maybe a third. Um, but then after that, we'll, we'll move on to, to uh, something else. So, again, uh, for those of you watching at home, I appreciate you. Uh, I appreciate you your confidence in me uh, and in this class. I appreciate your um, participation, um, you guys spreading the word. Uh, because of you, I believe firmly, because of you watching online, um, this class has grown in person quite a bit. Uh, it, we've had a full house the past four weeks in a row i think um so uh if you feel comfortable to join us in class by all means i would love to have you it's at 9 30 at old brazier's chapel in the big uh, sunday school room um if not uh, i appreciate you guys still watching uh let me know if you have any questions call text email leave a comment down below make sure you're subscribed uh and hit that notification bell to let you know when these videos go up And with that, um, thank you for watching, and I hope you have a fantastic week.